Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the weekly podcast from the marketing minds at doyouconvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peake. Number 28, number 28. Let's get started straight into this fun story we had today, live from today, like two hours ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. We had a call with Facebook. We, of course, went over tons and tons of things, but let's segment that down into the two most important ones, um, which are... First, actually, um, we talk a lot about reps calling us up and not adding value. And so... Yeah, right. A- Andrew had had an original call with this particular contact at Facebook and things had gone better than normal. Seemed like a not mm-hmm. your average person reaching out. Yes. I'll be honest, though. I was still a little skeptical. It's like, God, I don't know. And I have to say I was pleasantly surprised in that um, nice. it wasn't yeah. just you should spend more. You could spend more. Let me show you how to spend more. But there were a couple things, uh, even besides what we're going to kind of split this into, that it just made me think about it differently. I'm still not certain that the recommendations are all precise, mm-hmm. but it it was good and like, oh, that's another thing to test or a new way to think about it. And even some things that, you know, we had done something two years ago and uh, it didn't work and kind of saying, hey, you know, here's here's how we've changed as a platform and you might want to consider take another look at that. It was just, it was more helpful than I was expecting. And I actually, I planned to bounce off the call. And you stayed the whole you know, time. 10 minutes in. Yeah, it was. I stayed the whole, and I, I kept asking questions. Andrew, he was looking at me like, I'm like, what is done now? What is happening? We were done 25 <laughs> minutes ago. Here's someone who's actually going to tell us something. So, uh, yeah, so that I thought, just thought that was good for, good for them. If you can find a contact at these places, that's going to be the same contact that you can go back to again and again instead of just one random person that's, calling you every month. Yeah, that's the trouble. And Google hasn't figured that figured that out yet, which is the trouble with Google. I have like 20 people trying to contact me. So it's, yeah, and they all have to get the whole story yeah. from the beginning. Well, how does a builder work, the buying cycle and, and all that? And it's, yeah, it's just not efficient. Right. And she was actually taking notes like, oh, that's that's what makes home builders unique. I'll, you know, we'll see. Cool. we'll see. Hopefully that, that those notes are referenced, but um, it was good. It was a good conversation. So, yeah, in terms of the the two things that we wanted to talk about um, today, one is we mentioned the news article about the new Facebook pixel. And so that was one of our questions was just, hey, there's no easy identifiable way to know if you have that new pixel or not. And can you add some clarification? And um okay. She kind of said, hey, it's 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 a rollout like everything else. Um, she did kind of say it's not necessarily ready for prime time. So there's, they're having some mm-hmm. some bugs with it. But what is, again, really nice is it will automatically add additional code to track more granular details of what people are doing on your website when they have a Facebook yep. account. And that's the part they're having that the trouble with as far as tracking. Essentially, it'll be, I don't say it'll be exactly like analytics, but it will... Google Analytics, but it's going to get into the territory of tracking more actions on the website automatically, just like Google Analytics would. And then the second one, which I'm excited about because I have no idea what it's going to look like and if it will work or not, is this video creation tool. This tool will allow you to make videos easier within the platform itself. So you don't have to have an external app or if you make videos from your phone, if you have one of the, the um, like Video Shop, one of the easier apps to make a, a video with. This will actually be in the ad interface, which is pretty neat. I'm not sure what they look like, 
but yeah. And she was saying even just something like adding a, a spinning logo or text and kind of doing more of the Ken Burns, like it may, you may only have photography, but they're trying to make a, an almost like an Animoto for yeah. those of you who've mm-hmm. ever used that before or, or Jeff Turner's real estate shows um, exactly. tool, but just a native way to make um, video for those of you who don't use Adobe Premiere or other um more powerful or robust applications or even have video content. They're just trying to find easier ways for people to, to do that. Just like Canva did for a lot of people listening. I know who, who like to use Canva instead of Photoshop or Illustrator or InDesign. Yep. For yeah, work. definitely not Illustrator. I'm, I'm team Photoshop. I cannot figure out Illustrator to save my life. <laughs> so in, in summary, the, the pixel, um, it is available out there being rolled out the new one that will automatically track more, data for you instead of requiring programming. And what we mean by that is the, the current Facebook pixel, you have to tell it like, this is the button that is my lead form so that it can track conversions of the mm-hmm. form. This one is just supposed to be able to analyze the site and kind of build all these smarter reporting pieces in automatically. The last thing that I think we should give them insight to, Andrew, is just we were compared at Do You Convert uh, against other people. And this was kind of the foundation so from, from her perspective of the talk. And who did they choose to compare us against? I just thought this was the top five agencies on Facebook. The top I'm five sure buying agencies buying in the world. Agencies. The, okay, the top good. five agencies who spend hundreds of millions or billions of dollars a quarter yeah. on advertising. I'm like, oh, I'm not sure that's fair. Yeah, well, <laughs> right. And like even application, like, okay. Okay. Yeah, she's like, well, in this in this little part of the chart, you're way better than in this part of the chart. You know, you're you're not quite measuring up, and it was just like it just harkened me back to again. We tell this to builders all the time. You know, who's your competition? Who are you comparing yourself against? Mm-hmm. That has such an impact on how you look at data. And I just obviously they're <laughs> they're choosing those because they'd like everyone to be um, spending that much money on their platform. Oh yeah, I that was oh yeah, and a lot of it was like just I don't say it was. It really didn't matter, but some of it was just the way you set up your account. Oh, and that was and the other thing. Yes, we were talking about account structure. It. And yeah. at one point I said, well, you know, we try to keep things as effect- efficient as possible, but also clean so that it's easy because, you know, we teach the humblers we work with that they're going in here just like we're going in here and they can make their own campaigns or adjustments or whatever. And her eyes got real big and she started taking notes like, Oh, that's different. Okay. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not. And she has oh. an agency background, so she probably even was more you know, shocked by that as far as yeah. oh, that's anyway. I could not even imagine. We we like you, uh, mysterious Facebook rep. You're great. But I just thought it was fun to give everyone some transparency there. All right. Moving over to the news. Um, we got one that's not necessarily fun, but you guys are have felt it or or are feeling it. Uh, from marketwatch.com, new home sales sink to a nine-month low as housing market wobbles. The recovery is still on for new homes, but it's still two steps forward, one step back. Great Paula Abdul tune. <laughs> um, Paula Abdul. And I mean, this chart that you guys can't see, but just describe to them this chart in terms of sales of new single family homes, the peak and the trough, and then where we are right yeah, now. Yeah, there we go. So the peak, if you go back to, let me see the exact July of 05, 1.389 million as sales of new single family mm-hmm. homes. And you're at the top of the mountain there. And then you're going down the double black diamond all the way down to the bottom. <laughs> this is like the elevation of, of a ski 
of a ski slope. And then, you know, bottoms at yeah. you know, February, March, 2011. Yeah, I'm looking at February, 2011. Yeah, through yep. That whole year, 2010 through 11. But from there, it's been steady, <laughs> like straight up, straight up, straight up, straight up. And then back to what the article is referencing. Peaked, yeah, 07. And it looks like it's just dipping a little bit at the very top. But it's still like, well, what's the next six months? Because that doesn't, I mean, it doesn't mean like it's another down the double black diamond it's just we need more time you no know, it, it is it is a little bit of a pullback i think the thing again for context for everyone who hasn't ridden on this whole um ski slope of a chart here <laughs> in, in their career is that you know as good as things have been in terms of sales um you know it, we're nowhere near that peak uh, we're still only crawling back half maybe a little over a third of the way, yeah, almost half, yeah. um, halfway back in terms of volume of mm -hmm. single family homes. And it's really been limited just by affordability. I mean, uh, finding sure. a way to build an affordable home that everyone wants under 250 in most of the country is just extremely difficult uh, would, to do. Yeah, I would say so. And that, that's the biggest impact on why we're not able to grow further. The other interesting thing is that that peak was caused by um, financing and, and mortgage tricks, mm -hmm. right? So it doesn't mean that home builders and marketers were geniuses back then. It was, hey, you could, I remember newspaper ads in Columbus, Ohio, buy this brand new home for payments as low as, you know, $349 a month. Wow. And it was like a 2,000 square foot mm -hmm. house. That's insane. Of course, it was just so, where the financing was set up. Yep. And we talked about last week, market proof, uh, your marketing, you know, this is nothing to be afraid of. It's, it's natural. It happens every summer anyway, but I just think it's interesting, you know, is your reaction to this panic or is your reaction to this? Just, we got to get back to work and, and do things a little bit differently or a little bit better. I agree. All right. What's up next? What's next? More Facebook targeting changes. This was not expected, although kind of expected. Um, so this is from Facebook's newsroom and it is called keeping advertising safe and civil. And here's the big, I'm surprised this didn't make it. I picture them wearing the big orange, like crossing guard I uniform. Yeah. Mark something running like, around with his crossing guard. Like that's something the teacher on the playground. Yep, keep it safe say. and civil. Oh my. Um, so the big, the big headline is Facebook removes, I'm making this up. See if it's clickbaity enough. Facebook removes 5,000 targeting options, advertisers shocked, or something like that. I don't know. So they're removing <laughs> no. over 5,000 targeting options to help prevent misuse. It looks like they're really focusing on not allowing people to exclude audiences that relate to ethnicity or religion, which, of course, uh -huh. us in housing, we don't do anything like that anyways because we don't do anything like that. Um, but on accounts that they flag as housing-related You'll have like a notice on your account. Yes, I certify. I will not do these things. Da, 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 da. And a lot of our builder partners already have had to click that. Yes, I certify. I won't do this. And it's a button. Yep. Not all of them for some reason. Um, I know I did quite a few. So if you see that, it's like a big box. You will not miss it. Don't be alarmed. I, I do believe your ads will be paused if you don't click. Yes, I won't do that. But you just click. Yes, I will not do that. Um, but they're taking their Facebook is taking it a step further. And saying, yes, you certify, but we're also going to take away even that option. They're taking this very seriously. And we've even had, unfortunately, a couple of our builder partners had their website go down for brief moments here and there. And 
I'm curious reading this article, if we noticed that when we, we paused the ads, when the sites were down so that they weren't spending money sending people to, to nowhere. But then when we turn back on the same ads, not changing anything, just turning them off, turning them back on. We've had a couple instances where um, the ads have been going through a review period for much longer than they should. Now, generally, this is one thing that really annoys me right now is if you do a Facebook Live, you, you will have noticed this or, you know, you just you have something that you want to get out quickly and turn around fast and promote it. Good luck. I mean, it's it is good. hard to get ads turned around sometimes in, in even just a couple a couple hours or in an afternoon. But we've had a couple instances where we've had to reach back out to Facebook because ads have been paused for how long? Ooh, uh, the longest one on the record, I think it was uh, like six days. And that was like with conversation on Facebook that day. Like, hey, the, they were turned back on in the morning. That afternoon, they still weren't approved. Unreviewed. Hey, just checking on this. We have a contact. Yep. And it's like email, 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 I, email. Hey, they're back up now. I think that probably has something to do with the fact that they're you know, Facebook did get sued by the government mm -hmm. and for potentially allowing discrimination against fair housing. We obviously work with home builders. So I'm wondering if that might be part of it of just, hey, we just we're, we're putting an extra microscope on this kind of for sure. This kind of ads. It makes sense. General. It makes sense. And Google is just comparing different ad platforms. Google is is quick with their search ads because there's, you know, say 200 characters, 200 words to analyze. But their YouTube ads, they those usually take at least a day to get approved. Display ads are usually at a day. Yep. Um, so maybe they're just you know going to more the norms instead of being fast before. But that still is disappointing. Yeah, you know, with with like Facebook Lives, you want to push those out and then sponsor them. Yeah, or just not that this would ever happen to anyone on here. If someone said, "Hey, Marking, we forgot to tell you, but we have this big event and we need you to promote it," and it's going, <laughs> it happens, you know, this evening. You're in your scrambling. Sometimes you don't always have the the opportunity to get that quick turnaround anymore. So you do have to be more prepared. Um, still, way more flexible, obviously, than direct mail or print <clears throat> um, or billboards would let you be in terms of turnaround time. But it is at times uh, more of a challenge. All right, last one. Last one. I like this one. This is from Becca. This is our Becca. She works with us in marketing, which is awesome. She's doing a great job. So this one, this is her first. Is this her first blog post? I'm trying to think. This, this is, is her very first. Is. I don't know. I, I thought there was one before this. I don't know why. Um, so it's titled Third Times to Charm, My Hunt for a Great VR Experience. Because we all have an Oculus Go here at DYC. Yep. And you you get it in your first experience. You're like, wow, this is amazing. I think everybody that, at least all the family members that I said, hey, put this on, try it out. Everyone's just blown away. The article goes over her experience with it and really just highlights the overall, like it's almost there. Yeah, I think the tech is getting is there. Close. I mean, the, the Go mm -hmm. itself, like you said, you put it on, you show someone the Netflix app or you they have curated, you know, 3D videos of the typical what you'd expect. Roller coasters and flying on a jet and dropping out of an airplane with the, what do you call those guys who wear the suits and just like fly um, in the air? Um, I don't know. James oh Bond, gosh! I'm call him. Wingman. Wingman is that what they're called? Sure, Wingman? why not? You think I know? Um, <laughs> Paratrooper. But there's that, and you get that response of "Wow, this is as good or better than I was expecting yes. it would be," considering that this is not connected to a computer or another device, just standalone. So I think the tech is there. But what I thought was actually most interesting to me was that her experience of looking at two-dimensional content on the mm -hmm. Oculus. 
she felt was far superior to interacting with that same two-dimensional content on a regular screen. And I agree with her. I just hadn't thought of that um, as much as, as she pointed out in the article. You know, you're looking at this, what I think is probably like 120, 130 inch screen in front of you. It's huge. Mm-hmm. And so even if you're just looking at the same photography of a kitchen, it's just the impact of that. In fact, in art school, um, the art professor used to say, you know, if you can't paint, uh, paint with red because, you know, red just sticks out. If you really can't paint, paint it big. And if you totally suck, paint it big and red. <laughs> and so there's just something about scale that communicates um, really well to us. So I thought that was interesting. So she tried 2D and virtual reality, and that was, that was better than two-dimensional di- two outside of the headset, <clears throat> but not fully immersive. And then she tried Matterport, which is, I'll just say it's weird. It is, um, yeah. And that it's not as easy to get to as you would expect. The content that you want, the Matterport VR app itself doesn't really let you explore the content that you want. So you have to go to the website using the built-in browser, then pull up the, the 3D tour. And even once you get it to work, if you're familiar with Matterport tours, there's little blue circles on the ground that you use to navigate. And instead of keeping those on the ground, they show these big, I mean, they kind of look like blue holographic Death Stars floating Death stars in the in middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like everywhere where you can click to move on the tour, there's this huge blue ball that covers maybe like a sixth of the screen or it's just way... It's too obtrusive. It needs to stay on the floor, like the little disc or whatever. Yeah, because then you can't see the countertop. You can't see the island. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of that. And then the third time the charm, the, the one that she tried last and liked the most. And uh, we didn't talk to them about this at all first, but it was. Rendering house. Yeah, so no surprise, yeah. John. Uh, she liked your experience yeah, good job. the best. Now, it's not. It's not an existing home. It's not a, a home that's built. You know, these are animated homes. So there's a trade-off there too, because it's not visually as real looking as reality. Mm-hmm. But just the interactivity of the tech with the content was the easiest in her opinion. Definitely. And I think the, and we'll talk about that at the end as far as the question of the week last week was, what was it? I forgot the exact Yeah. Exact How's marketing going to change in the next 10 years? Yeah. Oh, marketing will change the next 10 years. Like thinking about like the available graphics now, mm-hmm. as far as the high end, like Far Cry, Far Cry 5 or any of the high end games on the desktop, like mean, look completely realistic. Right. That on this with a virtual home, like you won't even care. Like, yes. Like, oh, we just found a way for the first time ever to incorporate Fortnite with the podcast. So, Do it. you know, <laughs> and I have only played Fortnite myself. two or three times myself, but. Um, you know, Fortnite is a cartoony video game. And the reason it looks cartoony is because they designed it wanting to run on as many devices as possible. So you can play this game on your iPhone or on your Xbox or PlayStation, a Nintendo Switch, all the way up to, you know, a $3,000 custom gaming computer. It's designed to run as well as possible on all those things. And that's just an, an example of what you're talking about, right, Andrew? Yep. Is mm-hmm. Right now the way that most people have experienced 3D uh, VR and AR experiences is by using their phone and and plugging it into a Google Cardboard or one of those Correct. cheap plastic headsets you can buy not at Walmart or Target. Not the same. And that is not the same. Yeah. You just no. can't. There's not enough horsepower in that to to drive the type of realistic images that we want. 
Yep. I'd say, yeah, Oculus Go, what are they, like one one ninety nine? Yeah, I think so. I think that's, yeah. so whoever's listening, if you're in charge of the money, order one today, ship it to the office, we'll be there tomorrow. You'll have a lot of fun. Yep. Do it. All right, that'll do it for the news this week. Next up, we've got our 360 topic with special guest Jenny Smith from EA Homes. And we're going to talk about the push and pull, the tug of war between wanting to do things that are just flat out cool and branding focused and bigger picture versus focusing on the nitty gritty tactics and what's my click through rate and, and all the other parts of digital marketing that we talk a lot about here and how her and EA kind of look at that and balance that. It'll be a great conversation. We'll be right back. And we're back with Jenny Neesmith from EA Homes. Jenny, thanks so much for joining us this week. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We have worked together for, gosh, three years now. Is that right? That is right. We're, we're coming up on our three-year anniversary. Yeah. So nice. full disclosure, you know, Jenny NEA is a builder partner, um, but that is not why, well, it's not the only reason that she's <laughs> here. It's the way that I got to know her, <laughs> of course, but thank you so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about, you know, I always say no one says I want to be a new home marketer when I grow up. So how did you get here? Started out in school a little while ago now thinking about communication and wanting to eventually be editor of Vogue magazine. So I had quite the dream going there, but always knew that, yeah, always knew that I wanted to be in some sort of communication field. Um, You know, the aesthetics, the branding of Vogue had always appealed to me among many other fantastic brands out there. And that's kind of where I Hung my star temporarily, spent a couple summers in New York um, studying marketing and a few different showrooms. And essentially, I think that's what really drove my interest to want to go into more of a market, marketing and advertising role. So um, rolled out of school into an ad agency in Atlanta, Georgia. And it was one of the agencies that was really recognized as being on the forefront of digital advertising. And I was fortunate enough to work as an account manager on um, a national shoe retail brand, which I'll <laughs> so I'll keep that name concealed. But um, a very interesting experience. I always said that my interest in Vogue led me toward the discount shoe sales. Um, but it was a great experience. Worked a lot on social media, and after just a little while there, I actually was in touch with someone um, who was working at Edward Andrews at the time, and. They were exploring a total rebranding for the company. Um, EA, as we call it, uh, was established in 2007, so just pre-recession, and really wrote it out. Um, There were a lot of tough times here, as you'd imagine, but they really prevailed to the point that when things got a bit healthier, 2012, 2013, they got to a point where the team said, hey, let's let's kick this back up again. Let's rebrand. And that is how I found my way to EA. I kind of went out on a limb and decided that I was going to leave advertising and come in-house. And it's been a fantastic experience. Nice. And how was working for an agency versus a builder, that switch? It was very different. I am very happy where I am today. I can say that. (laughs) Um, You you all made me laugh a bit earlier speaking about Facebook and suggesting that the, the contact you were speaking with was former 
um, formerly in an agency. Mm-hmm. And I could only imagine the horror she felt when you all said you were teaching your your clients and your partners yeah. how to how to do things themselves. <laughs> Made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's been great being in-house. And I think the biggest thing for me, which is really relevant to today's conversation, is the ability to not only have the tools, but have the just control and support internally to make some decisions that really help guide the brand. And you're not locked into just following the guidelines of what your particular account is looking for, but rather you can really push the limits and you can, you can afford to, you know, suggest something that may sound a little crazy. And if it fails, you've at least had the team support behind you. But if it's a success, you know, it gives you a little bit more credibility as far as continuing to push forward and try different things. Yeah. I, I don't want to hover on this too long because we've got a lot of other things to talk about, but agency versus builder, do you, did you find that reflect, maybe you didn't feel this at the time, but looking back at time at the agency, um, how do I say this without making your current agency or people, you know, there feel bad, but you know, it's, it, I imagine it's hard, but I've never worked for an agency myself. So I'm looking for your feedback. Is it hard to work with multiple companies and have the same uh, passion or interest or like, is everything feel as important to you when you're in an agency environment versus in the, uh, in the client's environment? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, it sure does. I'll answer that as best I can. My account was so large actually that I was only on that particular account. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's not to say I didn't kind of dip my toes in with a few others where there was help needed specifically with social media or perhaps reviewing content calendars. Um, I think at the time I was, I was really just looking to kind of chomp into something and, and find what I was excited about. So I can't say that I wasn't as excited about some, um, you know, topics or clients as others, but I can really speak more so to how I, how I feel now. It's, it's so, I am so deeply rooted in this love for marketing of home building, which <laughs> you laugh about earlier. No one, no one wakes up one day and says, this is what I want to do, but I think you mm. find your way into it. And if it clicks, it really clicks. And I think that it's, it's an exciting thing, um, when you find that. And it's, it's been a fantastic thing for our company to working with, with you all and do you convert and finding people who, and probably a lot of the people listening to this podcast can relate, but finding people who, who find that same interest. And it's just incredible to have the resources and connect with people who do the same thing day after day. And you are so darn passionate about building these homes and, and set, excuse me, and selling them. It's amazing. Yep. I, I do know one person, my oldest, Avery, we used to drive around um, on the weekends sometimes and stop in, walk through homes under construction and, or visit models of builders. And I remember her asking like, is this what you do? Like, cause this is what I want to do. If I just get to drive yeah. around and walk through, walk through homes and the smell of sawdust and just, <laughs> you know, experiment, I'm like, well, it is part of what I do. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so she, for a while thought that was the best gig in town. I think she's moved on to vet or oh. something with dogs for sure. Well, very admirable as well. For sure. <laughs> okay. Let's bring, bring it back. back. Can you give us a little bit more on EA homes as far as the types of homes, typical community types of setups, just so we have some context. Yes, absolutely. So EA Homes, Edward Andrews Homes, we are a private builder in Atlanta. We build single family homes and townhomes really all throughout the metro Atlanta area. 
Uh, we currently have 16 active communities, which is a combination of single family and townhome. Um, we build really in a lot of different areas, um, but are shifting a bit more in town based on what the Atlanta market is really looking for at the moment. And our homes range from the high 300s to 1 million plus. Our sweet spot is really in the low to mid 500s as far as, you know, our, our majority mm-hmm. sales. Uh, but we are really all over the board there. So it makes for a very interesting, A, marketing um, experience and marketing tasks, but B, it's an interesting buildup of, of the way that our communities look and are actually laid out. Our, our largest community is about 260 townhomes with a very unique, interesting amenity. That one's extremely lifestyle focused, which is something that we've really focused on with our brand the last few years. Mm-hmm. So we're really all over the mm-hmm. board. It keeps things very interesting around here. And we are extremely design focused as well. We have a design yeah. center. Um, and this has been truly a game changer for our company, what we like to call the candy shop. I like because that. it really is the candy yeah. shop in that, that is awesome. And that our buyers come in and they are not exposed to what a lot of new home buyers are used to. They're not walking into tons of vignettes and toilets all over the place and yeah. <laughs> no, no, no design center is that, that crazy, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, there, there aren't just samples and samples galore. We've, we've really made it so that it feels like you're walking into almost a combination of a cool swanky restaurant and a restoration hardware. That was a bit of our vision going into the project. And so a lot of people now are asking, is EA a custom builder? Well, Great question. When we rebranded actually back in 2013, that was a little bit of the approach that we were trying to trying to take. We were trying to differentiate ourselves in this Atlanta market um, by basically saying that we are offering custom homes reimagined. So we've since really morphed that into our new brand. Our new our new branding tagline is um, "Live in Comfortable Luxury." So we haven't so much anymore tried to offer custom homes, but rather we're really just offering that personalized experience. Mm-hmm. We see that trend happening across the country is is not just the moving away from custom because of the complexities and the cost and extended timelines, but just it, what people really want is that curated, you know, as a northerner, a Yankee, if you will, who's primarily lived in Ohio and Pennsylvania all my life in Indiana, you know, when I visited that studio and really all of your locations, it was like, this is what I expect Southern charm and hospitality to be at the high end. Well, thank you. I want to just dig into the design studio a little bit more because I've been there and what she's describing is absolutely true in that you walk into the space and I, I'm pretty sure I remember just saying, Jenny, like, where's all the stuff? Like normally, <laughs> normally there's a lot I of remember that. <laughs> and, and the selections are all where? Basically, we start out the whole design process with our digital tools that I referenced early on. As soon mm-hmm. as a... And you built those. And we did. Yes, they're, they're custom built for EA. It was a, a major labor of love um, that actually started well before I was here at EA, but it's continued to be something that we offer as really one of the very first things that a consumer may experience when they even walk into a sales center. So if we have a single family buyer, and like I said, some some townhome buyers may also have the same experience, but typically for single family, we can offer a little bit more of that custom, semi-custom build experience. 
So we encourage our sales team from the very beginning to go ahead and get these digital design tools in front of our buyers. And as soon as someone comes into a sales center, they're, you know, given the spiel, they understand the community. We understand that this is in line with what they're looking for. And then from there, we're able to hand them an iPad from our sales agent. And they are then able to take on the spot this design discovery quiz. And the design discovery quiz, like Kevin said, is custom made for EA. And it's basically based on the Myers-Briggs algorithm. It is a very complex um, app-like quiz, if you will, hosted um, within our EA website. And it's a series of 30 questions. And it is asking through each of those questions, which of these which of these images or which of these items below meet your style interest. So you'll take that quiz and it, it'll tell you on the spot um, what your style taste is. So we have everything from simply sleek to modern Marvel and the list, the list goes on. So that's how we get away with being able to conceal the majority of our items up front. We let the consumer or the buyer come in and really get to know themselves. And then they can actually start telling us what they like and would, and what they would like to see in person. That all had to be built. And that's obviously wasn't a small investment. <laughs> it was not. Gate. It was not. So that, that really all came to be the design center, our style quiz. And it, we have several other digital tools. Those are really all created between probably 2011 to 2013. So right there, during the rebranding time. And you can probably understand how at that, at that point, the company decided that they needed to bring in a little bit more help. So EA is investing in their own tools, their own technology. You're also investing in building the brand because you went through this rebranding process and experience. And that leads me to the latest, what I think is um, awesome. The thing that really sparked me and said, let's pull Jenny in and have this talk is the Bixton Mural. Yes, one of our most colorful projects, literally. Um, the Bixton Mural. So Bixton is one of our, really our first few communities where we've ventured down from suburban Atlanta and into what's what's truly the heart of in-town living. East Atlanta is a section that is really turning quite a bit. It's always been very popular, but it's now becoming a place that a lot of different developers and individuals are are kind of refreshing and giving a little bit of a different look. Nice. And so yep. East Atlanta, what is it like as far as the current setup? It's already built out, right? It is already built out. It's a very walkable place. Um, okay. Bixton is an interesting location, actually, which I'll, I'll touch on the name itself as it relates to this in a moment. But Bixton is really positioned right at the crossroads. If, if you look on Google Maps, it is at that crossroads between three different places, um, Kirkwood, Eastlake, and Oakhurst, Atlanta. So all three of these areas have their own personalities, very much so. Um, they Most of them do have some very beautiful, charming, older bungalow-style homes. And then there's some even, you know, even more grand homes as you get close to Eastlake Golf Course, which many people may be familiar with from, from PGA. Um, so we have, we've really been tasked now with coming into an area that is not necessarily looking for a new, new developer to come in. A lot of people gotcha. who are living there, understandably so, are very happy with how the area is. They, they love the style. We love the style. We're glad to be a part of it. Um, so we've really been tasked with how to, how to build a product and how to become a part of that community without coming in and barging in and you know stirring up a lot of 
activity and was a very calm, walkable, pleasant place right now for all of the homeowners and families that are there. That sounds like the inspiration for the Bixton mural. Um, yes. Can you describe it? We're, I'm looking at the pictures now and the giant story, which is, we need to, that link will be in there on the show notes, but this is how you do a Instagram story. Like this is like 101. If you're going to do an IG story, like this is what you do. Like, without <laughs> well, thank a doubt. you. That, that's exciting to hear you say that. So that, that really is what, what drove a lot of this decision. Um, being new to the area, we, there were a number of reasons that we decided that this mural was really a necessary component of building out this community. Um, you know, most, most importantly, we wanted to come in and not just be building a new community, but really elevate this community and establish it as its own sense of place within a very popular and existing location and really part of Atlanta. So we thought, what better way while we're moving dirt, getting a model going, getting specs going to come in and just give something you know, over the course of a few days that this community and our, and our new homeowners too, will be able to enjoy for quite a while. So we were fortunate enough that the site itself had a very obvious, um, canvas, if you will, just beside the community. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, it was, it is a bridge that connects a street that runs right over, uh, Cottage Grove, which is the street that Bixton is on. And it had been sitting there. I could not even tell you how long it has been there, but it was dirty. It was gross. It, it was not, it was an eyesore. So we went out there. Uh, thanks to our construction team, we had some pressure washing help take place. And then a few days later, one of our designers actually here at EA is a very talented artist. And she, along with myself, our marketing coordinator, Shannon, and our CMO Caroline, we put on our, our play clothes and we went out there and we painted stairs and painted what is now a beautiful, beautiful mural. Um, it's colorful. It not only brings a lot of happiness and color to the community, but it truly does help connect Bixton and that particular street and tunnel to the street above, which is also undergoing some very great mixed use development. Okay. I'm going to play devil's advocate with you, Jenny. Yes. And you know, I'm a fan. But what you did was you painted some stairs, the colors of the rainbow. That is true. (laughs) Right? That is true. (laughs) So defend that a little bit and just, I mean, we already kind of touched on it, but just kind of succinctly, why you just named three or four people, including the head of sales and marketing, getting out there and painting stairs. Yes. A lot of stairs too. And and (laughs) (laughs) So how, how did the discussions go into that? I guess is maybe a better way to talk about it is like... Who came up with the idea? Was there any pushback internally? Did anyone have ideas of this isn't something we should be doing? Yeah, yeah. So there, there's always pushback. We're, we're very fortunate that a lot of our team here, you know, they've, they've been at EA long enough to know that marketing and a lot of our team members, we're going we're gonna to come up with some ideas where we, we try to push the box and try to think outside of what everyone else is doing um, marketing-wise. So Yes, we absolutely had a bit of pushback. There were a lot of questions about the logistics and, you know, whether or not that was going to help with a single sale. And we really just had to get everyone to see our our perspective too, that it wasn't necessarily going to be that someone saw it, they walk in and they buy a home that day. But in painting this beautiful mural and in not only bringing something really happy and joyful to the community, we were able to clean something up and make what was 
really a not even functional staircase into something that people could use to connect to their neighbors, connect to the surrounding area. And it really was a way for us to just come in before we even had a sales center open on site, introduce ourselves to the community. And that was really how we how we got the neighbors around us to say, oh, okay, this this isn't going to be anything too crazy. They're giving back to the community here. And, you know, we have a fantastic Instagram background as well. So that was an interesting, an interesting thing to hear from the neighbors. And um, just the social media component behind it has been an incredible way for us to drive some really organic content. And it's been a great way for us to not have to even brainstorm another ad outside of what we're already mm-hmm. doing. But we have so many people each week just coming to this site, posting pictures tagging the location and using our, our designated hashtag, which is stairway to Hosea, which references the street that is connected to Cottage Grove by this bridge. That is awesome. Yeah. I'm just scrolling through here and you've got, you know, noodle, the standard poodle, uh, <laughs> you've got surgery in the city. I mean, I'm imagining these are people who at least these are people who consider themselves influencers, whether they are or not, they right. are definitely, seeking out this mural to take their picture in front of it. Yeah, um, ab- absolutely. And and we did have a lot of conversation and we had a lot of pushback too from, you know, we wanted to go out initially and hire a bunch of influencers on social media, which is something that we and I just really believe is going to be a huge wave as we continue with, with marketing, not only home building, which is, you know, kind of have to figure out how to massage that so that it works, but with all of the brands that we're constantly consuming each day, it really is how people are getting their content and it's how people are finding what feels like a more trustworthy source rather than just an ad that they may be served. I was going to say, I, th- I think that's the gateway between influencers and, and I've thought about influencer marketing quite a bit because I haven't really seen it get into home building yet, which is mm-hmm. interesting because I'm like, there's so much. Not well. Oh, well, well, there right. we go. I think there needs to be a bridge or a stairway between the product and the people or the influencer. And then this seems to be that. It's definitely, definitely unique. It kind of reminds me when I was a builder, people would call us up uh, fairly regularly in Pittsburgh and say, can I shoot a scene in a movie or in a commercial in your model home? And that's kind of like the old fashioned version of Mm -hmm. I'm an influencer. Can I use your kitchen to shoot my next baking segment? Yeah. It's, it's a funny thing that, you know, this will show you how, how nerdy I am about my job, but I will, I will lay in bed at night and think, how can we as home builders tap into these influencers? Because everyone else is doing it, but we can't go give away at home. It's not, it's not quite as simple as as that. Um, so this was something that we just, our, our team here just got really excited about this. And we, you know, we didn't totally know what to expect, but within just a few days of this, this mural being completed, we had phone call after phone call, whether it was someone contacting marketing interested in, you know, what is this? Or can we write a story about this? And our, our online sales team, their phone started ringing and they're saying, what are, what are we doing out at Bixton right now? What, which new ad is running? (laughs) And we said, Nope, (laughs) it's a little, there's a different story there. Exactly. Um, so that, that was really interesting to see. And I think too, that just the organic nature behind it, people are more comfortable, you know, seeing that so-and-so doodle the poodle (laughs) posted a photo and, you know, maybe we should go check out what doodle the poodle is doing. But if we as EA 
are going to just post a photo of our mural. It's not necessarily going to carry that same weight because we're just the the builder and the brand. And it's, you know, it's given us a way to promote the mural by tapping into social media and Instagram in particular. Um, but it's also given us some really incredible resharable content that we've been able to ask these influencers or individuals for. And they've, of course, been very excited for EA to post on their behalf. So it's it's a unique way to approach social media content, but it just is so organic that it's it's really getting a lot of traction for us. And it's been amazing to see it all unfold. Would you ever consider letting an influencer stay in one of your model homes for like a day or an evening or something? We, we have talked about that before. So we, we have been down the road that you mentioned earlier about filming TV segments, filming shows in some of our model homes. It has been an interesting experience to say the least. Um, but you know, I think when you get into, in, in what our case would probably be an, just an individual, probably a more casual influencer coming in, um, nothing crazy, nothing that's going to show up on Hollywood, but I think that it is something we would consider. There's, you know, we, we have to consider all of the liabilities um, beyond having someone there. But I, I would not doubt that if that, if that becomes a hot way to, to get an influencer into your homes, we would probably at least have that conversation about it. Definitely. Yeah, I think that is the, the way to go is I think we forget sometimes the brand new home is a beautiful for them, for the influencer would be like a, a backdrop, but they need content for their own selfish gains. They need it for their Instagram and having that like location right, right. for them is like, Oh, perfect. Yes. I love to be there. Oh, by the way, this home is for sale or sign up. These are coming soon. Yes, exactly. Just switching our gears a little bit. Um, so you guys spend a lot on intentional brand building. Do you think it has gone too far? I'm biased, of course, because I'm super nerdy and the tactics. What can we do? All the numbers from the numbers. So maybe that's a loaded question. Yeah. Um, you know, for us, this is something that we, let's say three years ago, we would start talking about a community and the branding would be in the back of our minds, but it wouldn't necessarily be anything that was being talked about, you know, more than a couple of weeks before we tried to open a model or opened a community. Um, so just in the last couple of years, we've really re- rejiggered um, our full process for opening a community in a lot of ways. But one of those ways is we start looking at the branding of a community as early as when our land acquisition team begins setting their sights on a particular parcel. So we start very much in advance. That, of course, means we have to make changes along the way as our learnings take place and we we gather more information and data. But that that is how fixated we are on positioning our communities to be branded well and branded to a point that it really is establishing a place and it's creating some sort of lifestyle and destination that people are drawn to. So to answer your question, I feel like for us, it has not in any way gone too far, but rather it has, it has helped us elevate our brands and communities to a point that we really are being, being able, we really are able to set ourselves apart from a loaded world of competition here in Atlanta, whether it's new construction or resale. Awesome. My kind of last question here, Jenny, for you is, do you ever find yourself laying at night also thinking (laughs) about how well your 
Facebook campaigns are running or AdWords <laughs> or click-through rates or you know, cost per lead? Yes. <laughs> you know, I think a lot about our lead generation. I, I can't say that that is not always top of mind, um, but I think that we, we have you all, for one thing, who are fantastic partners and, you know, in, in teaching us. Um, so, you know, I don't necessarily worry about those. It's more, it's honestly more exciting for me to look and see how many leads have come in every, you know, every morning, every week. And I really am just always interested, too, to talk to our sales team and talk to our online sales consultants and hear you know, if someone didn't necessarily submit a lead, but they called, what are they calling about? Did they see the mural? Did they see some beautiful display at Harlow? What what was it that drove them to come in? So we try to make sure that while a lot of these new ideas we are really taking hold of are not as traceable and trackable as a lot of the digital advertising, we are at least mm-hmm. conveying to our team, you know, the importance of, of trying to keep track of how things are performing. And I think that with word of mouth and, and this mural in particular, it's been um, it's been pretty evident that contacts have certainly found their way to us through just seeing things like this. So it's just a matter of being able to track that as best we can. Exactly. Okay. And last but not least, there's probably someone listening here who is like this person and this company sound like perfect, like they're amazing. So (laughs) encourage them, if you will, by sharing one thing that you feel like, you know, either you personally or as a department at EA, you guys are still kind of wrestling with or haven't quite figured out yet, just to make sure that everyone knows that no one's got it all figured out. Yes, I will say those exact words. No one has it all figured out. And we certainly do not. Um, Our biggest challenge right now, which Kevin and Andrew are familiar with, is um, implementing a new CRM system. So we, and I have spoken with many, many other um, marketers in home building, we have challenges with just system adoption and, and it is a work in progress, but that is one thing that we are, we are working to perfect, probably will never perfect, but um, that's always a challenge, but an exciting one at that and, and something that's, that is leading to sales directly. So very important. Yeah. And I know you guys will tackle it head on and in many different ways, uh, Big picture, small picture, carrots, sticks, yep. you know, CRM is a, is a crazy animal that gives a lot of builders fits. So yes. awesome. Thanks for, thanks for being transparent about that. All right. Well, thanks again Thank for you. joining us, Thank Jenny. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. How should people reach out and connect with you if they want to? So I am most active on Instagram, um, but I am also accessible via Facebook or LinkedIn. Awesome. We'll make sure we link that below. Thanks again, Jenny. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. Now, ready? Ready. Okay. Whew, okay, that was 
man, I love talking to her. She's always full of energy, full of excitement, full of ideas. Oh, yeah. Um, Lots of them. And also the other funny story um, I asked her, I said, how did you go about getting permission to do that? To which she chuckled and said, um, we'll ask for forgiveness. So I thought that was interesting, too. <laughs> Just uh, oh, I'm sure some people were thinking about permitting and how do we get approvals from the city to do this mm-hmm. and just all the nightmare that that might be. And at the end of the day, I think people are just happy to have an ugly thing turned into something, something beautiful. For sure. Yeah, there's a before a before shot. If you if you look at the story and then you do the hashtag story to Hosea and one of the first images, there's a before shot. And it's it's definitely pretty rough looking. All right, let's dive into last week's answers or the answers to last week's question of the week, which was, how do you think marketing will change in the next 10 years? So first we have Ryan. Um, his answer was, I was reminded on Facebook today that I created my Facebook profile on this date 10 years ago. The changes in marketing since then are crazy. I'd expect that in 2028, the evolution of marketing will be just as different. I imagine the online space will still be a key in the equation, but the players will be a brand new cast and the future tech will set a brand new stage. If you think about it, 10 years ago, it was a 2007, the iPhone came out. Yeah. Which is just the world before 2007. Like I was thinking like, oh, when a friend of mine got one of the big screen, I think it was a Motorola Q or something that had wife internet on it. It's like, what do you even need that for? Like, that's cool. But like, what do you do with it? Yep. And now you can't, I, mean, I could not even imagine not having. And even though that was when the first iPhone came out, the best selling phone of 2018 or 20, 2008 was still the Nokia brick style phone that only had crazy SMS, uh, snake and maybe bricks. Uh, although, and T9. Yeah. Oh yeah. Something like that. <laughs> All right. Renee Carlson says predictive marketing. We're already marketing based on intent. That's right. We love that word, Renee, especially when it comes to Google ads. But it's loosely based on a small data set, relatively. Ten years from now, it will be so advanced that we'll know not only what kind of house you grew up in, what kind you want or need, what you can afford and what area, but we'll know it years before you even know you want it. Every web page you visit will tailor the message to that future intent. Insert evil genius laugh here. (laughs) Nice. Uh, I think that's great. Frightening. Yeah. And Will Duderstadt says, the more things change, the more they stay the same. So philosophical. Um, Having a detailed and articulate value proposition will continue to be critical. 100% agree. You'll just be telling it on a new platform. So we have today Facebook, and that will be like what newspaper and radio was yesterday. So imagine what that will be. Well, I can't imagine no Facebook, but how it will evolve but you never know. I'm sure people said the same thing about MySpace. Ian, look at MySpace. It's not here. <laughs> exactly. Or it's uh, some weird thing. I don't know what it is. I liked Kim's answer, too, which was that some 12-year-old will come along who knows more than I and take my job. <laughs> to which, oh you know, I just replied back, 10 years from now, they would be 22. So it, it's, you know, a 22-year-old taking your job sounds a lot better than a 12-year-old. But uh, Or that 12-year-old will be something that was made in 2006, a bot named... <laughs> What is that person's? It's not Alexa. The equivalent to a marketing Alexa will be 12 years old. Oh, my. Um, let's see. And we have Jenny. Here we go. Jenny's answer. Jenny Smith. Much lower foot traffic, more upfront research online, and an influx in marketing through so- local social media influencers. There we go. And yep. engaging digital content. Perhaps even on-site agents taking on more of an OSC role, meeting by appointment rather than staying on-site full-time. Definitely agree with the yep. OSC appointment and sales would, 
that'd be interesting to see how that changes. Yeah. And I don't want to spend too much time talking about sales on a marketing podcast, Mm -hmm. but I do think it's interesting even just, you know, 20 years ago, sales was a, was a role that was primarily about getting people to do something that was purely in your own best interest and somewhat manipulative. And that's why we have all these connotations with used car salesmen and everything else. It was manipulate the person in front of you to try to get them to make a purchase now in the last, you know, five to 10 years, it's definitely shifted more towards facilitate the transaction, help them make a good decision, but it's less about manipulation and more about helping them take that final step, you know, trading information, trading stories, trading insights, and then helping them take that final step that they're afraid to take, almost like helping them cross that threshold to purchase. Mm -hmm. And I think the next transition is going to be a lot more towards uh, pure facilitation, you know, the, the story, not not that the story becomes less important, but I think it's going to take another shift to the extent where it will be more of an OSC type role like she's talking about. I really do. It'd be interesting to see how those blend together. Mm-hmm. I drove by, super quick story, I drove by a new home community, big builder down the road from here. It was 540, I think it was. Model closes at six. That's what the sign says. Um, half the community was still open. The other stuff, the lots had sold signs on it. There's no one there. I'm like, what in the world? I wanted, I wanted to go into the model because it was on the way home, but it was 5:40. So, appointment. Now I know. I'm not that mm-hmm. I would never not set an appointment, but I just happen to drive by. Terry Gearhart said, "Advanced manufacturing, automation, and construction will play a much bigger role, leading to shorter cycle times and on-demand housing. Ooh. AR and VR will be the norm for housing selection, and builders will figure out how to make the shopping cart concept work for housing." That's a uh, that's a triple play there, Terry. I completely agree on the construction part. Um, automation, those the cycle times have to shrink to allow that on-demand experience to occur. Um, we already are for sure seeing AR and VR now, but full adoption. And then the shopping cart concept working for housing, I think is going to go hand in hand with the other way to get shorter cycle times is to have fewer overall selections. And so Mm -hmm. that shopping cart concept for housing really only works when we drastically simplify going back to the curation concept we've talked about with both A-Money and Jenny um, with Comfortable Luxury. This idea of a curated number of selections that are just the right selections is what's really necessary to get that shopping cart concept to work. That's my my favorite answer from Terry. Am I allowed to say that? Really? That's awesome. Yeah. I think, well, I think on the production side, it's like, I, I follow, for some reason, a lot of tradespeople on Instagram just because I'm impressed. Like, look at this framer doing his thing. I have no idea what he's doing, but he's <laughs> doing it, right? And he's showing all these like cool tricks with jigs and whatnot, cutting it up. And I'm like, that is amazing. But this still seems like there's an equivalent digital side, and that's like making some ads some weird, obscure way because of imperfection, at least the way I, I see it. I'm like, why is this not done by a machine? Even though that's someone's job, that's their livelihood, it's all industry. But like, why is this not just, you know, it's a modular uh, type of construction, but even more automated than that. And maybe I need to learn more about production yep. side, but like, why is this not like perfect? Like it should be perfect, just like an iPhone's made. Ladies and gentlemen, that is your prospect's uh, thought process, right? Uh, that's We battle that so much, Andrew, of why is my house not coming with shrink wrapping? Why isn't it perfect? Mm-hmm. And that's not today's current reality at all but you just express the expectation that a lot of people a lot of people have coffee grinder my coffee Mm -hmm. grinder to last week cost me 12 (laughs) dollars all right let's share our answers real quick and then we'll get to next week's questions 
I put on here. I won't read all of it. Let's see. Mimic on, on Terry's answer that I think everything will be VR. Um, they'll be, will be 360. Of course, that's for existing, but VR will be like the game mode where it's like, hey, I want to go look at this community. You would have your Oculus Go on or even maybe on the TV because that's easier to share the experience with other people. And you would be able to move and feel the depth of space like a game you would, like any first person shooter, if you played any, like back to Fortnite or, or any game like that, and you'd view the home and walk around and then tying that into, I think, furniture and anything in the home will be all interconnected with it. Um, like I was looking at a model and like every little thing lines up perfectly. Like you have the bed, here's the headboard, here's the nightstands, here's the mirrors above that. Here's the painting, like everything is symmetrical and you're like, no wonder it looks perfect. No wonder it's beautiful. That's because all the dimensions are, are perfectly set there. So I think uh -huh. having that ability to, hey, here's an existing home and here's all the stuff. Or you could buy the new home and say it is $30,000, $40,000 more. And you, but that includes the furniture. And oh, by the way, it's going to look like this. And here you could play with it and move things around and, and change everything. Just the experience will be so much better and the end result will be just awesome. yeah i i think honestly of everything that people mentioned in answering this question your statement that homes will be purchased completely furnished was shocked me the most of oh, yeah? if that happens in 10 years i will be incredibly surprised i think the intricacies of, i just go to the logistics of how making that work seems really hard and then just financially speaking you can't include the furniture in a mortgage if, you, if you're talking about a large, smaller homes, maybe I think you're right on, you know, a, a tiny home or a or tinier home. 1,500 feet, um, maybe even, but I mean, 3,000 feet worth of furniture or 3,500. That's a lot of furniture. Yeah, you're and talking stuff. You know, 70 grand potentially. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, to, to get the mat, to, to match the same level of a model home, right? I like it. No, you, just, <laughs> you went out there 10 Thanks. years in, yeah. in the future and compared to everyone else, mine sounds pretty like duh, Kevin, but um, walking traffic will be almost non-existent in 10 years from mm -hmm. now. 90% of all traffic will be pre-scheduled for an appointment or self-serve when someone is not available. And yes, I do think there is no self-serve getting yep. around that self-serve will be a significant part of the future. Is yep. it ready now? I don't, I'm still on the fence about it. I, I know a lot of people are using Enter now and have good things to say about it. I think from a customer experience, once they're in the home, obviously Enter now allows them to very seamlessly get access to the home. Once they're inside of it, it's dark. It might be cold. Temperature may not be set right. The lights aren't turned on. Um, yep. it, may, it may not smell good. And they may make a lot of bad assumptions like, oh, there's no fridge here. So I guess I got to come up with two grand to pay for a fridge. Well, it might just not be delivered yet. Um, I think sure. there's still, to me, this self-serve is going to have to be combined with a way to have on-demand answers to any question that you have, whether that's through you know, like FaceTiming an agent uh, or having pre-recorded answers or a chat bot or s something else. But there has to be this way to not just gain access to the space, but still have access to the expertise of an expert uh, salesperson or, or marketer to answer your questions. Definitely. And I think the adoption of more smart products for the consumer. So they're yes. used to like, uh -huh. Oh, I'm, this is just like the one I have at home and here's how I get access to it. Like the yeah. August, we have the August door lock. It's, it's still super quirky. Um, 
like I'm still I'm still a little bit mixed on it. But imagine if you I can't I could not imagine someone going to a model home who is not even kind of familiar with that type of product going, oh, so how do I get access to here? Okay, do this thing, download yeah, this. Yeah, or even just, you know, the confirmation code from Enter Now says, you know, when you enter the home, please say, uh, Alexa, start the model tour or something, mm-hmm. you know, to that effect where, okay, then all the lights kick on, the music turns on, the fans start turning slowly on the ceiling. And, you know, it just... That sense of arrival, which you get when you enter a model home that's decorated and furnished and feels nice, is completely different, you know, because those of us in the industry, we've walked into those models when everything's turned off and it's just, it's like an empty, dark, sad home, but it's like, it's the family who lives here is gone right now and I just snuck in. (laughs) It's a different feeling, (laughs) and especially if it's not furnished, you know, at all. All right. And so this week's question of the week is... Do you invest time or money in pure branding activities that you know you will not be able to attract direct sales to? That's a fun question because that is difficult. How many sales do we get from that campaign we spent? Uh, We will not be able to tell you that. Looking forward to seeing everybody's answers. And that'll do it for this week. Um, For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and the like. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you next time. 